Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. one name you are bound to run into over and over again as you read. Israel. The Bible tells the story of God's relationship with the nation of Israel and how he will use Israel to bless the entire world. As you may know from our episode about replacement theology, there are people who believe that the church replaced Israel in God's promises. We believe the opposite. When we look at prophecy, it is clear that there is more that God has yet to accomplish in and through the nation of Israel. And we're not alone. Throughout the world, more and more churches are recognizing Israel's role in scripture and are awakening to the knowledge that God still has a plan for this nation. On today's episode of Our Hope Podcast, we have invited two Gentile believers in Jesus who love and support the nation of Israel. The first is author and speaker Esther Allen, who is the Senior Director of Communications for the Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem. Our other guest is Michael, who is a student at the Charles L. Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies. And now I introduce the host of Our Hope Podcast, Abraham Vasquez. Hello, everyone. My name is Abe Vasquez. Welcome to Our Hope. I'm so excited uh, to have Esther Allen and Michael join us, both for the first time on this podcast. Esther and Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Abe. Nice to be here. So uh, we always ask our guests kind of an icebreaker question. It's pretty important. It, it might be hard to answer. Uh, we'll start with you, Esther. What is your favorite dish? Oh, my favorite. Well, probably anything that you and your wife cook because uh, <laughs> what you guys post on Instagram constantly makes me hungry. But um, I would say pasta. Pasta is probably my favorite. Pasta. That is a great answer. I love me some <laughs> pasta. Michael, what about you? Oh, man, this is embarrassing. I'm not going to lie, because <laughs> I've thought about this recently and I realized a reoccurring theme is always there's cheese in whatever dish I love. <laughs> so lasagna, um, quesadilla. I mean, as I run down macaroni and cheese, I mean, run down the list. So I think cheese and I hate saying that, but it's probably the truth. <laughs> cheese is your favorite dish. Got it. But it is true. Cheese makes everything better. <laughs> 
Well, uh, thank you again for, for being here. We're excited to have you and, and talk about the Gentiles' experience when it comes to a love and support for Israel. We, we do hear a lot from our Jewish friends um, on this podcast, but we really wanted to talk to two Gentiles who really have a heart and a love for Israel and for the Jewish people and, and really just hear from you and why, why that is. So let's start, Esther. Can you talk a little bit about your story and how you learned about Israel's unique role in God's plan? Sure. Well, you know, I am a millennial, Abe, and um, I've, I've been at several different uh, types of churches throughout, you know, growing up years, then into university years, then being out on my own. Um, a lot of the churches I was in were non-denominational style churches, and I, I love the church, and I've had an active role in the church. But I find for my generation in particular, we were really reading the Bible for ourselves, you know, how we can apply the Bible to ourselves and um, and not just for application, certainly for transformation as well. But I think it was just one of my spiritual mentors kind of challenging me in saying, Esther, yes, you can apply the Bible to yourself, but also don't miss God's larger story. And there is a larger narrative going on than just yourself. Um, yes, God is writing to speak to you and God wants to speak to you and God's word is living and active and will speak to you. But there is also a large story going on that involves Israel. And do you know about that? And kind of that gentle nudge and that gentle challenge made me kind of inquire and learn more from him of, well, what does God have to say about Israel? Um, is the story of Israel over? Are those promises and covenants to Israel now just to me and no longer to Israel? And right. so it started me in this quest to find out really to study God's covenants, to study who God says he is, and not to see God as a promise-keeping God just for me and my benefit, but to see that he's a, a promise-keeping God even to nations. Mm. That is awesome. That's beautiful. Thank you, Esther. Mike, Michael, why do you have such a heart for Israel? Oh, man. Okay. Well, I mean, I love the question, and that part of me is, where do I start kind of a thing? Um, I would say, I guess primarily for two reasons. I'm also just Gentile and I, I also grew up in mainstream evangelical, uh, mostly non-denominational churches, uh, like Esther was saying. And, um, you know, but maybe unique to a different, a little bit different from Esther is I actually didn't grow up really hearing much about the role of Israel or kind of having a pastor sort of, uh, nudge me along. Although, I would never say I grew up in a church that was outright against Israel, but it just wasn't a, it wasn't a topic. Um, it didn't really come up that much. So I guess it's going to, first one's going to sound super cliche and maybe over spiritual, but I honestly think it's the truth. I think God, honestly, again, I admit it's maybe cliche. I think God helped me um, just have a love for Israel. You know, I kind of thought it was normal and it wasn't until I was older and that love for Israel more fully developed that I looked back and I realized, oh my gosh, that actually might've been kind of weird or unique, you know, not weird in a bad way, but just unique. Mm -hmm. um, because when I was a kid, I audit like, so for instance, if I found out someone was Jewish, I was so interested. And for me, it just made sense. And also like Esther, like I, I am so grateful that I was encouraged to read the Bible for myself. And because of that, just Israel was everywhere, you know, like all my favorite people, everyone I loved, you know, biblically speaking, 
were Jewish. Everyone was Jewish, you know, and, and Israel this, Israel that. And so I think just reading the Bible for myself put Israel as a nation and, a, and as a people just on my mind. And so it may have been sort of an uninformed love uh, earlier on, but it was, it just made sense to me. Like if I found out again, someone was Jewish or even one day I met some Israelis uh, as a kid and I was like, what, you know, like really, you know, and I was just so fascinated and in a very, and I think a good way. And I'm grateful for that now. So yeah, maybe super cliche, but I would say, I think God just helped me when I was a kid to develop that kind of love because it just made sense biblically. And then um, if I could just add one more thing to that, I was so grateful. I was given the opportunity to go to Israel and never thought that day would ever come in my life. It wasn't something I was aiming towards. It just happened. And it was when I was in Israel and I got to learn about um, Israel as a country, its history, but also just Jewish history. And so much happened in my heart. I was really, I was, I, I felt so sad and sorry in my heart for when I learned about like the extremely painful history that the Jewish people had gone through. And of course I knew about the Holocaust growing up, but I just didn't know anything beyond that. And Mm. to find out that time and time again in history, the Jewish people have been so hurt. And not only that in general, but a lot of times, really, unfortunately, it was a lot of times done by people who would consider themselves Christian. Mm -hmm. And so when I realized that in the Jewish mindset, uh, that Christianity historically has often been associated with people who have really hurt them, it really hurt me to hear that and find that out. And I had no idea about that growing up. So it was sort of those things, kind of God was using all that to really soften my heart and just make me so much more in love with Israel. So, you know, the last piece of that, what I would just say is when I was in Israel, God really blessed me and he allowed me to be there for a couple of years. And I just saw so much happen that I would then, I would see stuff happen in Israel. And then I would see the way that the world would talk about it. And I was so shocked, like seriously, so, so shocked. And, you know, I don't want to name like news networks and all that. I'm not wanting to make this like a political divided conversation. So it's not about that, but I will just say like time and time again, I would be in Israel, I would be around the thing that actually happened, and then I would see the way that the world talked about it, and it felt so just um, backwards, but in a hurtful way, and it just, it it really made me see, I just felt like, I think this has to be a spiritual battle, it did not make any logical sense to me how the world could look at the same set of facts and come up to such a negative conclusion about Israel, Mm. And so it was kind of a number of these things that God really used to work on my heart and just, oh my gosh, he helped open my heart to a deep love for Israel, the people and the country. That's awesome. So uh, thank you, Michael, so much for for that wonderful explanation of your heart for Israel. And and just to go back to kind of reading the Bible for yourself, Esther, I I have a question. When, When someone asks you why you support Israel, where do you turn in the Bible to explain your answer? Well, that's a great question, Abe. And, you know, Israel, as Michael mentioned, is all throughout the Bible. It's um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. 
I think I would really challenge somebody um, to go to Romans. You know, I think many of us have heard of the Romans road and we talk about Romans when it comes to maybe salvation, but not a lot of us are looking at the book of Romans in terms of um, the distinct ethnicities and identities between Jews and Gentiles. And it's, it's discussed, it's talked about. So I would encourage somebody to go to Romans Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, um, see the writer's heart for the Jewish people and, and even see God's plan and, and see that there is a divine order. Uh, you know, I think as a Gentile believer, sometimes we can misunderstand, you know, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. And maybe that makes us feel less than, but it's not a less than at all. It is just a sign of God's divine order. We even see that in Romans 1 verse 16, that um, that we are to not be ashamed of the gospel because um, it, it is bringing salvation first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so we see a divine order for evangelism even in the book of Romans. But I think you can see God's plan for even maybe the hardening of hearts uh, as some Jewish people so that mm -hmm. Gentiles can be grafted in. Right. Um, and then to me, it was a conviction that I as a Gentile do not replace the, the, the branch, I do not replace the Jewish people. And so re really uh, being challenged that my theology needs to match up with what the word of God says and letting the word of God teach me and instruct me. So as Michael mentioned, Israel's all throughout the Bible. There's so much to learn about Israel and from the Jewish people who gave us the scriptures. Um, but if somebody wants to take a closer look, I would dive into the book of Romans and, and take a look at Romans really eight to 11. That's awesome. So, Michael, we know that God chose Israel from all the nations on earth, not because of their righteousness, but because of the promise he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So how does God choosing Israel ultimately bless the rest of the world? So if you think about it, when God chose Abraham, if you're kind of following the flow of things we really went from, oh my gosh, this world is perfect. God made the Garden of Eden, there's no sin, to all of a sudden the fall. And so you went from perfection to so much that was not the way God intended. Murder, jealousy, shame, strife. I mean, you name it, right? Sin had yeah. entered the world. The flood, I mean, the world got so evil that God had to flood the world. And so you're kind of following this storyline and then all of a sudden you get to the story of Abraham. And what does God say to Abraham? He says that I am gonna bless you. I am going to make you into a nation, but I'm going to make you a blessing. And I think sometimes we read that and okay, we know those details, but if we're following the flow or the train of thought, it's almost like that promise that God makes to Abraham needs to be read in a sense, looking backwards, like look where we came from, the world was perfect, but then sin ruined so much. Mm -hmm. And so when God says he's going to make Abraham and his descendants a blessing to bless the world, it's with this idea that he will use, he's going to choose Abraham and his descendants to bring the world back to him, to show the world more about God. Now, Historically, has Israel always done a great job at that? No, the Bible is so honest. It points out, you know, so many of their sins, but God in his sovereignty, in his love, chose to still use them uh, to bring the world back to him. And ultimately, the way we get that is through the Messiah. Uh, you know, Jesus could have been Babylonian. He could have been Roman. He could have been anyone. But God chose 
to bring the Messiah through the Jewish people. So how does, uh, how does Israel bless the world? Well, ultimately they give us the Messiah, but ultimately they also um, get to help point us back to God. We'll be right back. We're glad you're enjoying this episode about Gentiles for Israel. Explore this topic further with our book, Israel's Glorious Future. In this book, you will look at the ancient prophecies about Israel's future and learn how both the past and present of this nation reveal the faithfulness of God to keep his everlasting covenant. Get free shipping on your copy today by using coupon code FUTURE at ourhopodcast.com slash Israelbook. So Esther, you're the executive director of communications for the Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem, and you deal a lot with some of the stuff that's happening in the Middle East um, in relation to Israel and just the conflict that's happening there and even some of the beautiful things that are happening there. Just curious. So with the ongoing conflict in the Middle East, it can sometimes be seen as controversial to say that you support Israel. What are some ways believers who support Israel can also show God's love for all people living in the Middle East? Thank you for asking that question, Abe. You know, we started the Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem because we wanted to facilitate a better public understanding of Israel. We wanted to be engaged in the conversation. We we love Israel. We are not ashamed of that. And our love from Israel is really informed from the Bible. And so teaching that is a part of our core values and who we are. But another part of our core value is that we are called to love our neighbors um, and who we live by. And we're also called to take the gospel to every single person, Jew, Arab, Gentile, like the gospel is the saving news of Jesus Christ. And so uh, while we are definitely for Israel, we are also for the flourishing of all the people that are in Israel. And I think that makes us a little bit unique at the Alliance. Um, certainly you'll see advocacy groups for Israel that are informed because of their policy decisions. There's advocacy groups for Israel um, that are really wanting to support Palestinians only. We take a unique approach and we say, we are concerned for all peoples in the Middle East. We want to see all people thrive. Mm -hmm. And that is because of our love from God and being informed from the scriptures, we believe that God loves everyone and doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to know his son, Jesus. So uh, we believe that we can be a, a for, for, a pro, pro, <laughs> and we can love our neighbors um, to the best of our ability, no matter their ethnicity or background. Amen. Michael, you alluded to this a little bit earlier. You, you said that uh, historically Israel kind of wasn't perfect. And I think uh, we all know that modern day Israel is also not perfect as well. So, you know, some people would argue that if you support Israel, that you're turning a blind eye to the nation's flaws. What mm. does godly support for Israel look like? Oh, man, well, there's so much I could say to this. But yeah, so, you know, actually, funny enough, so I said this a little earlier. I'm so grateful. I, I did get a chance to live in Israel for a couple of years. And so I became friends with a lot of local Israelis. And 
Um, it's just so interesting because, you know, Israelis would be the first seriously to tell you how imperfect their current country, their current government is, you know, so I just want to point that out. They, no one, no one in Israel is walking around with some illusion that, you know, they are a perfect country, a perfect people, not at all. If anything, they, they quickly call out their own, you know, faults and failures and which I actually really appreciate. So just want to say that I think it's an interesting point. So um, how, how does godly support for Israel, how, like, how do you support Israel in a godly way and not overlook its faults and failures? Um, well, I mean, I would say be okay. Like it is okay to call out right from wrong. Like, so just because you love Israel and support Israel uh, doesn't mean you can't recognize they're still right and wrong. I mean, the God of the Bible, the God of the very God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who created, you know, the standard of right. And so it's, it's not bad to, to criticize something when it is genuinely wrong. God wants us as believers and even Israel as a nation uh, who doesn't yet believe in him to stand up for right. Um, But I, I think the, the issue or the problem becomes when it's not done equally or fairly. And what I found is that the world is very quick, very quick. I'm so shocked at how quick the world is to criticize anything Israel does. And no one is saying that Israel can't be, the wrongs of Israel can't be pointed out. But when it's only Israel's faults that are being pointed out, there's a major problem with that. And Uh, I could, I mean, I have tons of personal stories where I could share where, again, I saw in Israel something happen, and I would see how Israel would really, really try to do the right thing uh, to promote life, to save life, uh, to promote democracy, to promote freedom of speech, all of these things. Um, And no one seemed to want to point out the good, you know? So there's a lot I could see on the matter, but I, I guess I would summarize it by saying it's okay to point out Israel's uh, faults where they actually exist, but I think people just need to be willing to do it equally and evenly. Um, Israel as a nation is neither the perfect country in the world, but neither is it the devil uh, as a nation. In fact, it's it's a very good country that really tries to promote life and um, values that we would all benefit from really um, embracing. So yeah. And you know what, Abe, I would, I would add on to that, yeah. um, that they're certainly not perfect, but they're chosen by God, mm-hmm. you know? And so who am I to sit here and, and criticize and critique it? It's like a, a believer in Jesus constantly criticizing the church. And if you've been around people like that, it's exhausting. You know, the church is not perfect. The church has faults, certain denominations. I mean, every denomination has faults, but somebody who's going to constantly criticize every church and every denomination and every pastor is absolutely exhausting to be around. And so, so many times we as believers are doing that to Israel and we're just pointing out all of their faults instead of seeing, wait a second, God has made a covenant with them. God Mm -hmm. is a covenant keeping God and God still has plans for Israel. He still has plans for the Jewish people. And so how much of our language is life giving towards Israel and the Jewish people and how much of our language is critical. And unfortunately, Mm. it seems way more trendy and way more acceptable to be critical um, and and really bordering on anti-Semitism sometimes 
than it is to say, wait a second, God loves Israel and is a love for Israel also being cultivated inside of me? Mm. Am I praying for the peace of Jerusalem? Like I'm called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Am I, am I working towards that end? And I think um, sadly, too many of us are prone to criticism Mm -hmm. instead of prayer and affirmation. It's, it's sad the culture that we live in today, this cancel culture, is really disappointing. Um, while it's great that people are seeking justice for certain things, I think we're missing forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's, it's really disheartening to see that when someone makes a mistake, when their past catches up to them, that immediately the first reaction is to cancel this person instead of the community saying, you made a mistake, we're giving you an opportunity to redeem yourself. And, and that doesn't happen. And I think that continues to spill over um, in, in terms of, of how people view Israel, you know, and, and when Israel makes a mistake, immediately it's this, just they come down so hard on Israel to the point that certain people want to cancel the country Israel. <laughs> they don't want it to, well, you and, know. I'm, and really look at, look at scripture. I completely agree. I mean, scripture is not a story of Israel's faithfulness. Right. Scripture is a story of Israel messing up again and again yeah. and again. And God still saying, you're the apple of my eye. Right. I still love you. I'm still going to pursue you. You are still my people. Yeah. It's a story of grace. It's a story of grace and thank God we've received it, right? Yeah. So yes, how much more for God's chosen people? Yeah, and at one of the one of my favorite lines that I've heard from you, Esther, was um, we would be naive to think that if God were to blot out Israel from his plan, that he, would, he wouldn't do the same to us Gentiles in the church. I know we're getting to a little bit of replacement theology, but <laughs> it, it's, it, it's just this grace that keeps showing up in our lives and in our story. Yeah, I mean, if we replace Israel, if Gentiles replace Israel, then who replaces Gentiles? Because (laughs) we certainly are not perfect. I mean, at least three of us on this call can attest to that. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to be replaced. And I'm glad that that the love of Israel is based on God's character and who God is, who he says he is. And he's going to remain faithful to that no matter who messes up, what country or individual. And it's just a bigger narrative than, than us personally that's going on. Amen. Thank you. No, I completely agree with Esther. And one thing I just want to also add to that too is, and you kind of alluded a little bit to it, Abe, like when someone messes up with this cancel culture, we are so quick to come down. And I just wish, and I try, I'm not, I don't do this always perfectly myself either, but if, if only like how different could it be if our first assumption of people or a nation or whatever could be the best of that people instead of just automatically assuming the worst. And I think, um, you know, it's unique. It's, It's unfortunate. I expect the world to dislike Israel. I expect the world to, you know, we, we just can't hold the world to the same standard as believers. But when believers' first assumption of Israel is a negative one or a dismissing one, it's just so sad. It's so sad to me in my heart, uh, just because like Esther's saying, it's like they are still God's chosen people, even with all of their imperfections. But guess what? We have the imperfections too. And it's so crazy to me that we are so willing to offer grace to ourselves or even other people of the world. You know, who doesn't want to see a Muslim man or woman come to faith or a Buddhist man? woman come to faith like we care so much for everyone except maybe not so much israel you know and it's just so sad and shocking to me and i don't think every christian's like that i don't want to also paint every you know gentile christian as someone who doesn't love israel because of course there are many who do but there are some who 
it seems that something in their heart or spirit is quicker to dismiss Israel than any other people group. And I think that's a sad indication where they should want to be willing to look inside their own heart and, and ask themselves why. Esther, what advice would you give to young believers who want to learn more about Israel's role in the Bible? Well, I certainly hope that you check out our website at allianceforthepeaceofjerusalem.com. You can see affirmations and denials on that, and really they're biblically informed. You can see the scripture right there on our website and go to the scripture yourself and read them. Uh, another thing I would encourage a trip to Israel. I know things are, are challenging with traveling right now, but there's groups like Passages and the Philos Project. There's great groups, Chosen People Ministries that are taking people to Israel. I would I would go and see the land for yourself. There is spiritual warfare that the enemy does not want you to go to Israel. And so I would say, check your own heart and um, and be willing to go to a land that means so much to God Himself. Uh, where Jesus is going to return. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I would say, get to Israel if you can. And then I think thirdly, I would say, um, pray to meet a Jewish believer. You know, there are wonderful Jewish believers and I, I have been so blessed learning under Jewish believers. And I would say, ask God to meet a Jewish believer and uh, learn the scriptures through their eyes and, and learn about the feasts and the festivals and the covenants. And um, it will enrich your walk with God. And so those are just three things that I would encourage you to do. And, um, you know, you're not alone in this journey. Find us online, um, follow this podcast. There's people that are on this journey with you yeah. that want to hear God's heart for Israel and we want him to um, morph that into our hearts. We want him to, to change our hearts and to educate us on, on how to love his land and his people. Awesome. And, and Michael, what are some ways the church can bless Israel? Oh, man. Well, I would say, well, there's a number of ways, but um, it's, my, it's just so simple. So hopefully it should be easy for all of us to do. I would say one of the ways that the church can bless Israel honestly, is just to even include them on your radar, mm -hmm. on your heart map and your mind map, just realize, oh my gosh, God actually still loves Israel. I may not have realized that because I didn't hear much about it growing up or it wasn't a focus in my church. But if this is now entering your heart or mind, you know, radar, so to speak right now, just let it be there because by it being there and you, if you are willing to read the scripture uh, for yourself, you will see time and time again, how much God still loves Israel. And if you could allow yourself to feel that and to know that it will do so much and you will you will start to see God change your heart to where you will actually love Israel as well. So I would say the first thing, really simple, really easy, just allow Israel to be on your, your uh, heart map, your uh, heart radar. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's funny, I'll say this, who doesn't love, which Christian doesn't love Romans 1.16? We all know the verse and it says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. We all agree. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, period. Normally, in the Christian world, that's usually right. where we end the verse. <laughs> However, what does the rest of the verse say? So it is, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek. So it's not that God only loves the Jewish people or just the Greeks, but we just need to finish that verse and realize, yeah. oh my gosh, Israel's still on the map of, of God's heart. Um, and so there's a, I think it's Mitch actually that says this. He says, look, maybe uh, you don't believe in to the Jew first. Okay, well, can it be to the Jew at least? You know, like, <laughs> let's not forget Israel, you know? So uh, I, I just love that. Uh, that, um, that phrase. Yeah. And so the last thing I would also say is once they're on your heart map, just pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. That'll deepen your love. And the last thing Esther said it too. get involved. If you can go to Israel, I promise it's going to be life-changing. Or if you can't go to Israel, get connected with chosen people ministries or any other messianic ministry and, and do what you can to either be involved in a, in a outreach effort, or if you can't do that and you could support a missionary, whatever you could do to start to attach your heart um, to God's heart and support the ministry, um, I think it's one of the best ways you could bless Israel. Esther, before we wrap up, um, can you give a little plug for the Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem? What are some things that we can do on the website? What are some resources that are available to us? You alluded a little bit before, but I'd love to give you some time to talk through what that's about. Sure. Well, we're certainly trying to educate the next generation of Israel's role in the Bible, both past and present and future. And so we hope to update always with new articles, new resources. You can sign up for our email list and get a new article sent to you each month. We have articles and press releases and lots of information on our website. Um, but also we have books that we link to and other resources. We're going to be doing conferences in the future. Certainly we want you to sign our statement and be on board with us um, as we seek to educate Israel's role in the biblical narrative. And I would love for people to join on what we're doing here. And Michael, can you give a little plug for the Charles L. Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'm a student here at the Charles L. Feinberg uh, Center for Messianic Jewish Studies in connection with Talbot or Biola in Southern California. And if you are a seminary or if you want to be a seminary student, or let's say you already are in seminary, and God is really moving your heart, you want to better understand Jewish people, Israel, you want to know how to reach out to them. The Feinberg Center is a great way to come and learn. You get to live in the heart of Brooklyn, be surrounded by uh, Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, secular Jewish people, you name it. So it really is a great place to come and um, not just study uh, theory, but get to actually practice and be immersed in the, the Jewish world and figure out how you best could try to reach out to uh, and love Israel as a nation and people, but also just Jewish people around the world. Last question. For both of you, how has blessing Israel blessed you? Wow. Well, so, you know, I loved God before I went to Israel, before I fully understand, understood, uh, you know, much of what we're talking about now. And I would say I had a really good relationship with God, but better understanding God's love for Israel and experiencing it. Wow. I don't know. It just took my walk with God to a much deeper level. And I saw how faithful God was to Israel historically, but how faithful he has promised to keep being. And God is not going to reject his people. He's never rejected them. He's not going to. He's going to redeem them, restore them. One day they will realize collectively who Yeshua, who Jesus is. And seeing his faithfulness to them, even in their sin, 
gives me so much hope because I am so sinful. Oh my gosh, we could have a whole other podcast on how much I need Jesus. <laughs> but knowing how much God loves them and how faithful he is to them gives me so much hope because I know he's also going to be faithful to me. Esther? You know, Abe, it's a, it's a hard question because it's a deep question. I think it's just been a deep work of God in my heart. And um, I feel at a deep peace um, since Israel has been on my radar, just praying for them, loving the people, loving the nation, caring for them. It's, it's just brought deep peace into our home. Even my husband and I have been richly blessed because of it. But I guess the tangible example I can think of is, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty involved in the adoption movement and any person who's been adopted or anyone who has adopted, um, there's a way that you can honor the adoptee's birth parents or biological parents. And it's getting to know their heritage. It's getting to know their story. It's getting to know their ethnicity. It's not expecting that you would just erase where they've come from, mm. but it's just to honor them, to get to know them. And so I feel like as I've gotten to know Israel, God's love for Israel, as I've learned from Jewish believers, I feel closer to Christ. I feel like I'm getting to know Christ better. I'm getting to know where I come from, what I've been grafted into. And it's enriched my walk with Christ to get to know him and his people. And um, I guess it just, there's a little bit of a sadness when my friends who are believers haven't gotten to experience that yet. And I want that for them. So I totally really appreciate and agree with what Esther's saying there, especially the part where she says it's really helped her better love and see Christ. And like her walk with Christ has gotten better because she's seen him better in a, in a more, in a clearer way. But just as a quick analogy, it, it just blew my mind one day when I was reading uh, the Hebrew scriptures of the old Testament. And in the book of Genesis, when, you know, Joseph, uh, the old Testament, Joseph, um, not the father of Jesus. So Joseph, here he is, a Jewish boy. He is one of the 12 sons of Israel, you know? So a Jewish boy goes down to Egypt, uh, raises, uh, is raised to second in command of Egypt, and so much time has gone by where Joseph is now wearing Egyptian clothing. The Pharaoh has renamed him. He has uh, an Egyptian name. He's actually even speaking the local Egyptian language. And one day his own brothers are standing before him and they don't realize that it's Joseph. But Joseph knows it's his brothers. Joseph under the surface hasn't changed. Joseph is still that Jewish boy. And yes, the outside uh, clothing looks Egyptian. And there were Egyptian, fellow Egyptian friends of Joseph, people who loved Joseph. But it's a, there's a beautiful moment when Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers and he's weeping, weeping so much that he tells everyone to get out of the palace and he shows his brothers who he is and they are shocked because how could this be Joseph? You know, there's a number of things going on here, but it's like, there's no way. I mean, you don't speak Hebrew, you look Egyptian, but oh my gosh, lo and behold, it is their brother Joseph and he starts speaking Hebrew to them and they realize who he is. I say this to say, I think there's a double blessing. To the average Jewish person, Jesus 
looks like Egyptian Joseph. There's no way Jesus is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. There's just no way. Look at him. You know, in the, in an average Jewish mind, Jesus looks like, let's say, a Roman Catholic pagan creation, or there's just this view. He's, a, he's Egyptian. He's not Jewish, you know, so to speak. But also for us in the Gentile world who know Joseph, it's wonderful to know Joseph. And yes, if you know quote unquote, the Egyptian version of Joseph, of Christ, you know, Jesus Christ, it's still a relationship with Jesus. However, if you really want to know Joseph, if you really want to know Jesus, there's so much more about him that if you're willing to dig deeper and embrace his Jewish identity, his Jewish culture, his Jewish history, how your walk with quote unquote, Egyptian Joseph can become so much more rich as well. And so I just want to affirm what Esther's saying. The more that we do get to see the Jewishness of Jesus and embrace it happily, the more our own walks with Christ really does get enriched and deepened. Over the years, God has continued to show his glory through Israel. And as Gentile believers, it is exciting to watch this story unfold as we look forward to what God has in store for the future when Yeshua returns. In the meantime, we can continue to bless and pray for Israel, knowing that this nation still has a special place in God's plans. We want to leave you with these scripture verses from Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 and 2. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Our Hope Podcast. This episode was brought to you by... Dr. Mitch Glazer, Esther Allen, Michael, the Alliance for the Priests of Jerusalem, Grace Sui, Nicole Vaca, and Kyron Bautista. I'm Abe Vasquez. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.